Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I am here with Galit Ventura Rosen. Galit, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jeffrey, for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners first who you are and where you're from? Absolutely. I actually live in Las Vegas, Nevada for quite some time since 1987. I am a commercial real estate broker, and I am also a sales success expert and work with women to show them how to get to seven figures in their business. Which I love to hear that. And we'll dive into that in depth in this podcast because I think it's a (laughs) great mission. So what got you into real estate, first of all? To be honest with you, the story goes like this. Short version, right? I was graduating college, just like most of my friends, getting my first degree in business here at the university in Las Vegas. And everyone was looking for jobs and it just didn't sound very exciting to me. So I went and got my real estate license because at the time we were probably getting about 6,000 new residents a month. Got it. And from there, it just took off into a 25 plus year career, right? Yes. It's funny because sometimes at a blink of an eye, it's like, whoa, I've been doing this this long, but it really was, let's get into residential real estate. And I did that Mm. for a little bit and realized it just wasn't my cup of tea. I was more of a business girl. I loved working with businesses. So I switched pretty quickly into commercial. I think maybe I was in residential for a year while I was finishing school. Right. Which I think most people, when they think real estate, their first thought is residential. Of course. But uh, I was exposed early on to commercial. So my one of my best friends in high school's dad, first of all, handed me Think and Grow Rich in high school. God bless his soul. And then also he said, yeah, I do real estate, but I do commercial. And, you know, he's like, the deals are bigger. It's Monday through Friday. And, uh, you know, he planted a couple seeds there, which uh, now that I have my license, I uh, chose to do commercial as well. And I have to tell you, it's real interesting, Jeff, because the way people usually get into it is exactly the way that you said it. It's not something that's a first thought because most people don't get into the career so young. I started when I was 22. So, and it sounds like you started quite young as well, but most people get into it as a second career in their forties. So who's going to think about getting into commercial real estate in their twenties? It's almost unheard of. And it was quite interesting because when I started doing it, I just loved it so much. I loved the business aspect. I loved the hours, just like you said. I loved that it was about numbers. It wasn't about emotion. That mm-hmm. was probably a big one for me. Yep. Totally understand. And, you know, working with residential buyers, it's such an emotional process. And it sellers, is. I feel I feel like they never want to sell their house. And so it's you know, they're almost doing it for some reason. And it commercial. It's all numbers. It's just looking at cap rates and working with other professionals and investors. And yeah, those are a lot of the reasons I love it too. So you then grew a company of your own. So commercial professionals, is that right? Yeah. That's the the name of the company. Tell us about that. Sure. Absolutely. So in Las Vegas at the time, you had to have two years experience as an agent, as well as a certain amount of college credits. And I had that mm-hmm. covered. So after two years of getting my license, I decided, here we go. I wanted to work for myself. And I started my company at that time. We actually were a Remax franchise 
give or take in the middle somewhere for about 10 years, a Remax commercial office. But we always went back to commercial professionals. And basically what happened was, as many companies, I started recruiting at the time and probably got about 13 agents within a few years. I brought a lot of people through my office as well that I mentored men and women that wanted to get into the field and just didn't know how. I've really made it my goal to kind of leave an open door for people that just kind of want to ask questions about it and want to learn how to get into it. So that's pretty much how it started and it's still going. I love it. And just so that our listeners have some context, why don't you share your transaction volume from last year or however you you measure your business, but that's typically the kind of the measuring stick. Absolutely. Oh gosh. You know what? I don't have the exact number, but I will tell you that Thankfully, 2019 was my best financial year ever in my business. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, 2020 was pretty dang great too. So I'm pretty blessed. The last deal I closed, just to give you some numbers, was $17.2 million. The largest deal I've ever closed is $50 million. So I'm working a lot with investors that are looking for income properties that are off-market. That's really my specialty is off-market properties. Just from being a Vegas girl living here so long, I find out a buyer. Most of my buyers are from out of state. And then I know a lot of the sellers and the owners. And then I reach out and start developing those relationships and then making the deal. Yeah, no, makes total sense. And it seems like you have built a strong career in this through your sales ability. Now you teach it, right? So why don't you share a little bit on your book, The Successful Woman's Mindset? Thank you. It's funny how things come about. I never believed I'd be an author. I never thought about being an author. All of a sudden, people started asking me to speak about business and success, and it just made sense to write the book because a lot of times when we come from a place of service, it's not about us. And I wrote the book. It was really successful with women that wanted to learn, wait, what does it take? What am I, what's working against me and how do I get it working for me? And I've had a lot of men purchase the book too. And it's just so fun how all of that works out. But the way that it came to the sales success part is people started reaching out to me and saying, how have you sold? Gosh, I think I've sold maybe $900 million in real estate. How, how have you done it? And that's where it started. And I said, there's actually a process to it. And let's talk about the process. And then as it be, people are saying, wait, Khalid, we want you to come talk at our companies. We want you to put on seminars. We want you to work with us privately to actually sell us. And what's really fun about my system, Jeff, is it's so different than the salesy type of systems that you use. My sales success method really begins and ends with building relationships. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And really, real estate on both residential and commercial, it's a relationship business. So in my opinion, the word sales is a positive thing. I know there's a, there's a negative connotation when it's, it's spoken out to the consumers. And I've heard the stat that real estate agents are just above used car salesmen and consumer opinions of professions and all this stuff. But it, yeah. in reality, and from my perspective, a good salesperson is largely asking questions and listening. Yes. Not selling someone into something that they don't want. It's listening and having your client's best interest in mind and guiding them with a fiduciary responsibility to their best end goal. And so I love your focus on relationship building. You mentioned it even before you started talking about your book that you have built relationships with your investors and local owners of these commercial properties. And then when you find out a state buyers, boom, you make that connection. 
So in the book, do you have any branded tactics or like a cool thing that you can uh, you can share with our listeners that might entice them to go purchase that book? Yes. So the successful woman's mindset is really about, okay, I'll just give you some of the chapter titles just to give you a little feel. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the chapter titles is she knows her definition of success because it's different for everybody. One of them Mm. is she believes she can. One of them is she's, she is a leader. She takes past successes and uses them to overcome future obstacles. So that book is very logical. There's activities at the end of each one. There's a workbook. You could just skip around chapters And that book really is about, hey, look, what is working against me? Because this thing we have up here, it works against us more than it works for us. And we actually have to work for it to work for us. It's quite interesting. I actually went back to school when I was 38 to get my master's degree in therapy, not because Mm. I wanted to be a therapist, but because I felt like there was such a need to understand why our head works against us instead of for us so much. And I learned so much about how it works and your thoughts and your negative thoughts. So the key pieces for me is I'll give you pretty much said them already, Jeff. It's so fun when I talk to someone like you, that's so aware and so in what's happening. So my four steps, of course, minor information versus the big project is adopt a sales success mindset, right? You got to have the confidence You got to have the knowledge and you got to do the homework. I never showed up as a 22-year-old woman to meetings with 10 men that wanted me to sell their $10 million property without knowing my stuff, okay? I knew my stuff. I always know my stuff. And I never talk about something I don't know about. Why would I do that? It just doesn't make sense. doesn't benefit me or them. So adopt a sales success um, mindset. The second thing is be an effective communicator. Jeff already mentioned that. You've got to listen. You've got to ask the questions and just be quiet. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but many times when I finally get somebody on a sales call, it's, I call them a discovery call because it sounds a little better. I've already built that relationship. And then I'm asking them questions and just listening. Typically, you won't even be sold until the last five minutes of the call if I even need to. So that's the number two, effective communicator. Number three is building relationships, which is get to know your client. And I do a lot of lead gen and teach people how to appropriately reach out to people instead of those thousands of LinkedIn messages we get, which we're so over. (laughs) I'm one of those people. And then the fourth thing really is the sales call. And there's a process to the sales call from beginning to end. But if you did the first three steps right, the fourth one is a breeze. Not because you're going to sell every single time because it would be nice to. It's because you've done your homework and you're ready to talk to that person about buying. That's been my experience as well. Even my initial sales experience with Cutco, there was an 11-page demo where you literally, you page for page read from the training manual while you were learning. Like the the prospectus was up, the training manual was back here and you're like, hey, I have some notes here because I'm still learning. And you would just put your head down and read and you know, 60% of people would buy. They had already figured it out. And so the training was like, if you do what you're supposed to do in pages one through eight, then by the time you get to page nine through 11, which is the close, you're not even going to need to use any of the objection handlers or any of that because one through eight takes care of everything else, right? And that's yeah. always resonated with me, like doing that work up front, then you don't need that clever one-liner that everyone's looking for, like, oh, what's the closing line or what's this and what's that? It doesn't even come down to that because you've already 
done everything, handled objections ahead of time, built rapport, built, you've you know done everything you need to do prior to that point. And now it's a no-brainer. So that makes total sense to me. And you did mention something I'm very interested in, lead gen, because yes. I own a real estate marketing agency. That was actually my, I know. my first experience in real estate. Right. Uh, it looks like you did some research. Awesome. Um, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm very curious what your your you know most profitable lead generation is, other than referrals, of course, because referrals are amazing. Oh um, yes, but, but they come but, a lot of times from that as well, from the lead gen, because you right. might be messaging someone or connecting with someone, and then they tell someone about you. I can't tell you how many times that's happened for me, where this person might not be the one that hired me or worked with me in one of my businesses, but then they told someone, "You've got to talk to Glee. She's the girl," and it's happened right. to me many times totally different career. I'm a professional speaker. I get paid to speak, right? So somebody I know told a person that plans these conventions, you've got to talk to Gleek. They thought I had a speaking agency for good and six. So when you're doing the branding right, you're going to get the leads. But let's go back to lead gen. I think for me, it's setting yourself up as the authority. So again, it's the work prior. It's the authority. So for example, if you go on LinkedIn right now, you'll see some really long posts associated with what I do. Some of them involve videos. Some of them involve published articles that I've written in different magazines. Some of them will involve interviews that I've had on TV. That sets me up as the credible authority, sales success expert, commercial real estate agent. So it's not just, okay, let's go and do Legion. You also need to be seen as the expert. So once you're doing that, they look at your stuff and go, wait, yeah, she knows what she's talking about, right, Jeff? Yep. One of the first things you said to me is, you've done a lot in 25 years. Well, yeah, it's 25 years. And don't get me wrong. I know I've done a lot. But those things set you up for success with the Legion. It's so important to have that branding and authority before you're even reaching out. And then, of course, you know, if you're doing it right, they're reaching out to you as well. Absolutely. And I love your focus on content and long-form content, you know, the really diving deep and displaying everything that you've done. And that's a really important concept is documenting and repurposing because you might do an interview on Fox and you know, you've been featured on all of these news outlets, but if you never then either get the hard files or ask those partnerships to share things with you so that your team can repurpose them into little one minute things for social media, then you're not really leveraging that asset because it's really what it is. A, a, a piece of content like that is an asset and you're not really leveraging it to the best of its ability. And, and I have seen, because I have clients on both sides, I have residential clients as well as commercial clients for lead generation and branding. And I noticed that residential seems to be a little bit more tech forward in that concept of like content remarketing and having social media, you know, pumping things out all the time. Has that been your experience on the commercial side where you're doing things that are pretty cutting edge compared to a lot of your competitors? Yes. I will tell you that a lot of my lead gen is direct B2B because okay. I'm reaching out to vice presidents of acquisitions. Those are my guys, okay? My guys, my girls. Those are the people that I need to be talking to because they're the ones that know what their company's purchasing. So my most successful ones are typically as that. Now, when it comes to the sales success and the mentoring and the speaking and the human resource managers hiring me, that is definitely going to set me up as the credible authority for them to respond to my messages through LinkedIn. But it kind of works together. It just depends. It's not very common that because of a post I made on 
LinkedIn, a vice president of an acquisition company is going to be reaching out to me. But it gives me that open door when I reach out. I'll give you a quick example for fun, Jeff. I have a team and I'm very blessed. It's a generational team. My oldest joined the company and he's 25 and he just joined a year and a half ago. And you know, that new blood, that excitement. And then my father has been in general contracting for 40 years. So we have this generational thing. So my son reaches out to me and says, hey, mom, do you know anybody at uh, Tesla? (laughs) I said, no, but let me check. Right, Jeff? So I get on LinkedIn, I find somebody that I'm connected, maybe second connection instead of first. And I said, what do I got to lose? I send the message. She responded. It was about a specific property that we're trying to sell in Vegas. So between my credibility and authority on the LinkedIn that I've shared, plus my profile, plus the property, which is 300 million, that, that, and that set me up for success that she didn't ignore me and she responded. So that's the kind of stuff you've got to be looking at. It's not always an immediate cut and dry response. It's the, what am I building up? So somebody looks at me and says, she's not trying to waste my time. She really recognizes this property might work for us. I'm so glad you said that. You touched on two really important points, which I I would love to expand upon. The first is you're not looking for short-term gain. You're in this for the long run. And so everything that you're doing, you're not looking for direct immediate ROI on, which is so common in the space as to what's going to feed me this month. But that's really not the right mentality, especially if you plan on this being not just a job or a career, but a business. If you're running this like a business and you're looking at long-term returns, then what what content you post today you shouldn't really care about how many likes it gets because if it was the right content and it did position you as an authority and it has the hashtags and it's done right, then that's a piece of content that could be discovered later. It will help your rankings for search and SEO. And this is the other thing, the indirect influence that is is granted by all of these campaigns and organic posts that you're putting out over the years. Because now when you reach out to Tesla and they go on Google and they research your name, your Facebook comes up, your LinkedIn comes up, all these things come up with all of this history of you being a true player in the space. And just like you said, now they know that you're not wasting their time because that is the most finite resource that anyone has is their time. And if they go to your profile and they see that, you know, you just switched from whatever other career to commercial real estate and you have a bunch of posts of political memes on your Facebook, then they're not going to be take you as seriously, right? But it's just that importance of having a track record of being an authority and how it then pays dividends later. So, yeah, great way to look at it. Consistency and it's an investment. So you can look at it from a real estate perspective. It's really an investment. I had a woman come to one of my workshops four years ago, okay? She came to a workshop. I think we did like a Facebook, because I do a lot of stuff to help women be visible. I think we did like a Facebook, how to be visible on Facebook four years ago in person. And the next thing you know, a year later, she's joining one of my classes to learn how to lease property. Then the next thing you know, she's joining books that I put together. I have anthologies I put together with lots of women. So imagine that she came, she maybe spent $97. That was it that first time. But now since then, she's spent thousands of dollars. And I think that that's the key that you have to look. I'm not one to change careers, obviously. 
I've started a few new businesses in the last five years. I've started three new businesses, but I don't give up the ones that I had before. And so if you're going to be in it for the long haul, either add on businesses that go with the other ones or complement them. I always suggest that so people don't get, get confused, but, and it's okay to change careers and stuff, but if you're doing well in it, why change? Just grow upon it. And that's kind of what I did. Yeah, no, that, that does make sense. And in your network, you have over 10,000 women that have, have become a part of it. Is that right? Well, we actually just had over 11,000 last Congratulations. week. Congratulations. Yeah. So during COVID, I hope it's okay to say that. I don't yep. usually like to, but during this whole craziness, our city shut down for eight weeks. My commercial real estate came to a halt like many people's. And we realized there was a need for women to find a place to find support to go online with their businesses. So we started Mm. this community and it blew up. It just literally blew up. It's one of my other businesses called Everyday Woman. And we have this amazing Facebook community called Women Supporting Women, Professionals and Entrepreneurs. We probably get 300 new women a day. And so when you build something that helps people, it's also okay to make money from it. I want to say that because a lot of women don't recognize that you can serve and still be profitable. And we've actually made six figures in that business just in the last 12 months. So it's just amazing when you kind of look for what it is, right, Jeff? How many people can say, wait, I'm succeeding during challenging times. It's just looking for what's missing in a positive way. And I did the same thing with the recession in 2008. I pivoted my company. We started working with banks and taking REO management of commercial properties. That's mm-hmm. how we survive when so many people weren't surviving. So you've kind of always got to be looking for that little thing of, wait, what could I be doing so that way I could still be making money and be successful? Right. So important. And that's something that I also did in early, let's see, it was, I guess, March 2020, right when the pandemic really blew yes. up. I noticed that, you know, the things that I had been doing for clients for years, all of a sudden now every single real estate agent needed to be online. And, and so I started this 14 day challenge, which was wildly successful. And, and it was so well-timed because I asked myself the question, you know, the industry clearly needs what I offer. How can I package it in a way that is just an absolute no brainer and makes complete sense. Right. And we package it as a $10 14 day challenge to Brilliant. basically bring your real estate business online. And it was like that $97 purchase you talked about yes. where the initial $10, we didn't even break even based on the ads. Didn't matter. We got tons of clients out of it. Tons of people that learned so much consumed our info products and are still clients today. Like it was a hugely successful thing. And we actually lost on the first sale, but it didn't matter because everything else afterward made sense as far as the economics and we were coming from a place of service. We didn't want to price it so high that the people who needed it couldn't afford it. It was 10 bucks, right? And we wanted to just make it as as fair as possible. So that's my first response there. I totally agree with you. You always have to be nimble and navigating and keeping a really creative approach toward navigating new waters. And that's my next question. Where do you think the future of the industry is going? Like after after the pandemic, going into the 2020s, what do you think is going to happen? You mean commercial real estate? Sure. Commercial, okay. five, 10 years out. Yeah. So I can only speak about my city. It's quite interesting because each one is so different. If I, I spoke to an agent the other day from New York, and it's a whole nother ball game. Let's say if we compared it to Las Vegas. Sure. I believe that 
So our city in itself is growing constantly. It's this, the strip itself is great, the hospitality industry, but if you're well versed in the community like I am, there's building construction, it's nonstop. We are still in a seller's market today. It has not budged, COVID or not COVID. Buyers are dying for it to change just a little. Interest rates, my gosh, I think I just 2.9% for a commercial loan. I mean, it's just crazy. So I believe that I'm, this market will continue to grow. I don't see commercial real estate changing anytime. We were talking about residential with all the stuff that's going on with those companies that are coming in, Jeff. That's a whole nother story. Whole nother story. We're trying to push agents out. But commercial real estate is too complicated and it's too broad. You've really got to have the expertise and the training to understand what commercial real estate is. I told you I get hired privately a lot for residential agents to be taught. They hire me six for six to 12 months. And that's with a lot of handholding. You know, it's a lot of trial and error if you don't have a good mentor. Because it's not like residential where you can go take a class and learn everything there is and then everything's regulated. So I believe the market's going to keep growing. I don't see it changing in the next five to 10 years, not for commercial. That makes total sense. And you know, I tend to agree with you on that, that the residential side is being minorly disrupted. And even mm. on that side, as long as you're adding value and building relationships, you're completely safe from that, in my opinion. I um, think the, so too. The, the big companies. But on the commercial side, you know, that's they're not even looking. Those huge companies aren't even looking at the commercial side because like you said, those deals, they're, they're, everyone is different. It's everyone. not like, oh, here's another single family house and the median house price in this market. It's like, no, every single commercial deal is so different. It's retail, it's it's uh, multifamily, it's, you know, it's so many different versions of the commercial real estate game. So I agree. And once again, you know, coming back to the relationships, it's the way to safeguard yourself from pretty much any changing market. Because if you, you know, had everything taken away, but you still do relationships today, you'd be fine, right? You can still put deals that, together. Absolutely. And, and put that aside with integrity, genuine, authentic, honest. I mean, there and don't burn those bridges. Fix whatever you break. It's just like any other kind of business relationship. As you know, because you do this with your business, lead gen and reputations go side by side. So mm -hmm. you want to make sure, knock on wood, in 25 years, you know, all that money we pay for E&O insurance. I've only had to use it once in 25 years. And that's because they tried to mess with us and take away a quarter million dollars. You know, they went around us. So wow. we had to get use our insurance to get the attorney because, of course, they had to countersue. We won. But just to show you how important it is that you recognize when you are honest and straightforward. And I don't know how to do business any other way, even if right. you're not going to work with me. Today, I had a woman reach out to me from Canada. She wants to buy multifamily. I'm like, not my area of expertise. Let me refer you to someone. Someone else might talking about fourplexes. No, oh. not our stuff. Jeff, I have a lot of experience in apartment buildings. I'm talking <laughs> fourplexes. And I said, that's residential. Yeah. Let me refer you to someone. I do that all day long too, Jeff. Someone in California. I don't work in California. Someone in California, I'm going to send them to Jeff. I'm not going to try to sell something in California when I don't know the market. Know your limitations. Know what you're good at and treat your clients well. I treat my clients so well. If I really believe a deal does not make sense for them, I'm going to tell them it does not make sense for you. I don't focus on the dollar signs. I focus on that long-term relationship 
And I have to tell you, it benefits me every single time. Thank you so much for being so honest with me. And that's something that you want to really, really take away from this. Absolutely. And be known for, you know, I don't know how to do business any other way either. And so I almost take it for granted to not talk about it, but it's such an important point. The honesty, the integrity, not doing things with short-term gain in mind. It's not about short-term gain. Honestly, if you are honest and you lose a deal today, it might sting. You know, I'm not going to say it's not going to sting a little bit, but in the long term, that relationship, I'm sure will net you so much more because you were honest upfront and it's been my experience when, you know, even if I get on a strategy call with a potential broker client and it's not a good fit and I'm just honest with them that, hey, based on your goals, this and that, I would either refer them out to someone else I know in the marketing side of real estate that would be mm-hmm. a better fit or yep. I would give them some consulting of how they could either like get to the level where it would make sense. And, you know, that has always benefited me so much more than trying to like make it work when I kind of know it's not supposed to be that way. So yeah. And plus it tends it to backfire. Bad. Well, it tends to backfire when we do that. Yeah. Of course, we went through the trial and error. When I first got started, you tried things you probably shouldn't have been trying. Oh, I'm not right. doing that again. I And <laughs> I remember one of my first deals when I was doing residential for a little bit at the beginning was a residential home on a main street that was being converted into commercial. So it was a small office and the client was a nightmare. I could say that because it was 25 years ago. The client was a nightmare and I was really new into the industry. And I went straight to my broker at the time. I was maybe 22, 23. I said, I don't know what to do with her. I don't have the experience. I literally handed her over and got a referral fee. But it was the smart thing to do because it was not a deal that I wanted to mess with. So just recognize that those things, when your gut tells you this is not the right thing that I should be doing, just listen because it knows what it's saying to you and it will backfire if you don't listen. Let's dive into that a little bit. What's your process for evaluating what to say no to? Well, I'm at a point now in my career where I can choose to say no to certain things because I recognize my value. So let's just take a really simple example, Jeff. Let's take leasing agents. Let's do that. When you first get involved in leasing, you take everything. You're just excited to learn and you want a $100 lease, a $500 lease, a $1,000 lease, whatever. But once you get experienced, you get to a point where you say to yourself, wait, what am I doing leasing spaces that are a thousand square feet? I should be focusing on selling larger property or leasing something that's larger. And it's because you understand your value. So you've got to recognize your parameters based on your experience And based on, in a sense, how much is an hour of your time worth? I know what that is now. So what I did is I just refer it all out. I get a lot of leads for 1,000, 1,500 square feet. It's very common in Vegas with the mom and pop companies. And I just refer it all out. People are so happy to get it. And some of these people aren't even at my office. But I think the way that you say no is pre-qualify your client. I'm very, oh my gosh, I get scams all the time. And that doesn't even make sense, Jeff. Like I got an email from a guy that wanted to make an offer on the $300 million property, didn't even have a signature line. And he said he was working on his oil rig somewhere. Come on, we know. So you can ask for that extra information. But then I had another email recently from a gentleman that didn't have a signature line. But I asked, I'm so sorry, you don't have a signature line. Could you tell me a little bit more about your company? Very polite. And I received that information and realized they were a legitimate buyer. He just didn't have a signature line. So 
Definitely ask questions. Don't be shy to pre-qualify your clients. Recognize your value and what you're willing to spend your time on. And then see if you can work with that client. If you don't have the understanding, the knowledge of their expertise, find them someone else too. So smart. And that's actually how I've structured my commercial real estate business. So I know my value is in digital marketing lead generation. That's what I bring to the table. So I actually am essentially a referral agent and I'm able to find off-market listings, bring those to other agents that are best suited for that type of property that I know. They take the listing, kick me a referral. I'm happy. I don't have to go through the entire listing process, which honestly, I'm not as experienced in. But what I'm a master at, is staying in my lane with digital marketing and running really successful campaigns and optimizing those and scrubbing qualifying leads through a you know ISA team. So that is my value. And I because I'm clear on that, I can now achieve such great heights because I'm not trying to do everything. And I think that's so key is is being able to say no, know your value. And you know, you've touched on so many great points and tactics throughout this podcast. What I want to do, which is very difficult, I want to distill it down to the one action. So this podcast is all about action items for success. So, you know, over your career, what do you think is the single most important action that you took on a daily basis that attributed most to your success? Absolutely. As an entrepreneur, you have to be your own motivator. There's no one really Mm. that cares if you wake up in the morning, if you make the calls, if you uh, reach out to the people, if you follow up. If I don't show up at the office, my office still runs. So the first thing that I would suggest that the action step that you take is really reevaluate. And I'm going to say reevaluate, reevaluate your goals. And then when you reevaluate your goals, and I'm a three girl, a lot of people are, I like three goals. Are the things that you're spending your time doing every day directly correlated with accomplishing your goals? If not, it's time to start saying no or delegate it out. So that's really the core of success in my opinion. So what are your goals? And say no to anything that isn't directly correlated to accomplishing one of your goals. And make sure to delegate stuff out. So my action step for you would be re-evaluating your goals. Mm, So key. I love the self-motivator point because really, whether you wake up at 10 or wake up at five, you know, not many people would notice but your productivity would be hugely impacted and you would know. Oh, yes. And that's one of the biggest things is, you know, I started waking up instead of, you know, even seven or eight at 5.30 and at the gym at six and doing that consistently over a long period of time. It is so empowering to go through your day with that confidence that you are a go-getter, you're getting up early, you're getting the things that are most important done first before anything else, you then have like, I feel like the clarity to say, you know what, I need to bring in an assistant now because this and that and that are non-income producing. It just, it changes everything. I don't, I don't know what it is about it, but that simple concept of just getting up early and getting started right away and being that self-motivator, putting the right stuff in your ears, right? Watching the right things. It is so key. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yes. And for each person, it's different. For me, I'm not a morning exerciser. I'm a midday exerciser. So I don't, my body just doesn't do well. So for me, it's waking up in the morning, having my cup of herbal tea, sitting outside when the weather's nice, enjoying the beautiful weather before I get into an office all day long, right? Then in the midday, I'm taking a walk or my youngest likes to play basketball. So we'll go to play basketball, take a walk today. I think we did it at 
10, 15, but that moving around, there's just something about it for me because we sit all day. It's our job. We sit all day. We can make money in front of this computer all day long, but getting out there, of course, there's networking and stuff too, that's back now in person, but getting out there, but I'm a morning person as well, Jeff. I start my morning real early. Most people are that are successful, but some people are late owls. So whatever works for you, just find your groove and stick to it, but be consistent. Mm. I am so consistent about my Monday through Friday and my Saturday and Sunday as well. Yeah. Interesting you say that because on Saturday and Sunday, lately I've been so consistent that it's like you wake up Monday through Friday at 5.30 in the morning you're not going to sleep until noon on Saturday. Like you're going to be up at like six or six thirty, you know, even if without an alarm. So it's, it sets a really positive habit. And also then if you combine that with positive intention and reevaluating goals consistently, asking yourself that phenomenal question that you positioned, which is like, is this getting me closer to those goals? If not, eliminate it, delegate it. That's really a recipe for success. And I and, uh, really love how we've been, been able to distill that down. I'm curious if you have a failure or an apparent failure from the past that has set you up for later success. You know, oh do you gosh, have like I a favorite so ma- failure of yours? I have so many. <laughs> so many? Uh, of course. That's how you <laughs> get to do. success. Like how right. can you understand what success is if you don't know what failure is? That contrast is so important. Failing is to me, so important. Let's see. Gosh, I don't know. I had a business for two years that was very successful, was making a lot of money and changes in the industry overnight changed the profit margin and I decided to close it. So it was so important for me. You could say it was a failed business, right? But it was so important to recognize when to cut your losses instead of some people will just keep throwing money into something. But there were so many changes in the industry at that time that this was probably about five years ago that I shut it down. And that failure taught me so much because now before I start a business, I think about the industry and how it might change. And I might've been able to know it was going to change, but maybe not. But that definitely was a big learning lesson for me. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. And it rings true to, it's so difficult to shut off something that you've put so much energy into, but really that's not what it's about, right? It's it's about what is the energy that it's taking away from other ventures and is it being leveraged to its highest and best ability? And what does the future look like? Like you said, some rule of compliance or some change in an industry that has now changed everything and cut those margins, it's like, the future for that business isn't the same as what it used to be. So having that clarity, wow, that's powerful. That is super powerful. What are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? I love asking this question because most times I haven't read them and then I can add them to my reading list. So The Big Leap by Guy Hendricks is a big one for me. Awesome. Haven't that read it. That, uh, that one was recommended to me by one of my first, first mentors when I went into the online world about five years ago, and I recommend it to everyone that'll listen. And it's one of those books that is so inexpensive and so easy to read and short, but Mm. it's like you could keep it near your desk as a business Bible because it's all about, have you ever heard of the Zona Genius, Jeff? I've not. Okay. You will love this book. So Zona Genius, Zone of Excellence, you'll be like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. It's just so practical. So it's one of my 
favorite books. Like your genius zone, right? Yes. Zone of genius. It's actually called in the book, the zone of genius and the zone of excellence. And I also learned a lot about the words and how important they are. My other favorite book is The Four Agreements. Have you ever heard, read The Four Agreements? Yes. So another very, very small, quick read, but life-changing. Yes. Yes. The four agreements. And I love all of Stephen Covey's little books. You know, the little books like uh, 10 successful leader tips. I have all the little mini books. They're so easy to read. They're easy to go into. I love the way that he writes. So I think those probably those are my favorite. And I think another one, when I was in college getting my business degree, what was, gosh, what was that book called? The Successful Habits book. You know, Seven Habits talking. of Highly Successful People. Yes. They asked us to read that, I think, junior or senior year in college. And I never forgot that book. That book had a large impact on me as well. Wow. What a great book to read in college. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, that's amazing. In the last five years, do you have any new belief, habit, or any type of behavior that has drastically improved your life? Yes, positive thinking and gratitude. I think in some shape or form, I've always been a positive person. I was told for years that I wear rose-colored glasses and I see the world through this bubble. (laughs) I've been told that too. (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, what a great thing to have, right? What a great thing to have, yeah. But for me, gratitude and the silver lining has been key because like everyone, sometimes people think I wake up with a smile and go to bed with a smile. No, it's called being human. I work to have my smile. I work to be positive. I think that has been the key to my successes, even through challenging times in my personal life and my businesses with my kids. I always do my dingus to find the positive. So if somebody's sick, I let's just say you not you know, seriously sick, you say, oh, thankfully, it's just that. And of course, not everyone wants to hear that stuff, Jeff. Sometimes it has to be in your brain. But right. I think having such gratitude for my life every day to the point of sometimes I'm a very emotional being and I'll just cry out of gratitude. And I think it's a beautiful thing because if you really look at how gratitude works, emotion is the key to getting what you want when you believe in those things. And I truly believe in gratitude and and looking at the future and seeing the things that you want. So I'm a big believer in all of that. And I've seen it come to fruition. So I'm also one of those cases that many of the things that I've wanted with work and dedication have come true because I was grateful for the things I didn't have, grateful for the things I had. And then I was never jealous of anybody else. So that's been a lot of my success. That's interesting. I'd like to touch on the the being grateful for things you don't have. How do you look at that? I look at it as there's a reason I don't have it right now. So you know how we want everything right now. I mean, come on. Hello. Who doesn't want everything right now? Doesn't work that way. Right. But I believe there's a reason for it. And so when there's a deal that goes sour, I'll just use a logical answer, a logical example. I think to myself, maybe there was a reason. Maybe, maybe there was a problem with the land. Maybe there was a problem with the building. Maybe who knows what the end result would have been. I don't know. I can't see the future. So instead, I choose to focus on the fact that there's a reason I don't have that. There's a reason that didn't work out for me. And honestly, a lot of times it shows up later in life. It shows up. Oh, wow. That makes total sense now. I understand why that didn't work out. But I think that it's benefited me 
because of course it's important to focus on what you have versus what you don't. And then that's what I believe. And then when something doesn't work out saying, oh, well, it didn't work out. Why should I focus on what didn't work out? Why don't I focus with, on what did? Hmm. That's super interesting. I look at things in a similar light. It actually takes me a little bit to get there because it's natural, I think, to have the comparison syndrome of like, oh, that person has that. I want that. Why aren't I there yet? You know, I should be farther along by now. Like that's like the natural thinking for whatever reason. I think we have 90,000 thoughts a day and two thirds of them are negative. So it's like the, the majority are just negative, negative, negative. But if you train your mind to look at that as, you know what? Because I want that and I don't have it yet, that's keeping me motivated and I'm striving for it. What a gift. And so I, I was really curious how you looked at it. And also, I believe that gratitude is the prerequisite of happiness. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You could have all, all the things in the world, but if you aren't grateful for them, then you're not happy. And we've seen right. that over and over again with people over that are very and successful and, and some of the richest people in the world. And it, how much more fun is it to have everything and be happy about it? And I think what you said is so true, Jeff, because yes, I'm human. Of course, I think my brain goes to those places. But then the second I catch myself going into that, why am I not there? Why don't I have that? I immediately say to myself, no, but I'm so happy for them that they do. And I have found that it benefits me to recognize happiness for the people that are successful, happiness for the people that are happy, that are doing the things that they love. And I'm going to tell you what it's attracted for me is people that do the same for me. Whenever I share a win, I, on social media, I'll have hundreds and hundreds of comments congratulating me. How amazing is it that people look at me, and I'm using this as an example, it's not about me, look at me and say, I'm happy for her. Well, I do the same thing. I do the same thing for them instead of, well, why don't I have that? People are posting pictures in Hawaii. I'm like, why am I not in Hawaii? And instead I think, oh my God, I'm so happy for them. One of my friends had back surgery six weeks ago and it was good enough to go to Hawaii. How amazing mm. is it that I just saw that he's in Hawaii? So that's how I switched it up. And guess what I'm going to do? Probably plan a trip to Hawaii soon <laughs> because I want to go. So that's how I kind of, that's kind of like my system of working through it. I just gave you right. insight into the way my brain works. No, I love that. And that's really what this podcast is about. You know, it's about distilling down those thought patterns and processes and specific actions that lead to the success, successful mindsets and overall impact and happiness. So really appreciate you sharing that. And you're doing yeah. such amazing work with women. I have three older sisters. So I essentially had like four moms growing up and uh, I have always uh, just been focused on like helping women in any way that I can. I've always believed in workplace equality. I've started clubs in college that like helped, you know, women in, in different ways. And and so I love what you're doing with women. And I, I'm curious, is there a question I should have asked you or anything else that you'd like to you know, elaborate on from earlier that we didn't really touch on? No, I think that, I think you did a great job. I think for me, one of my passions has been that when I see statistics that bother me, I want to be the change. So right now, mm. we probably have over 11 million women-owned businesses in the United States, but only 4.2% of them are making a million dollars or more. And I'm kind of over it because that should not be the case. And that has to start with changing the way that women look at their businesses and showing them, I'm going to say that again, anybody out there that knows how, 
show other women how to have a seven figure plus business because there's no reason why those numbers should be so little. And that's a statistic from the National Association of Women Business Owners. So, I mean, hello, let's get whatever it is that you believe in, whatever it is that you're passionate about, be the change, be the change that you want to see in the world. And that's just something that I feel like is part of my purpose for being here because I started really young as an entrepreneur and most people don't and been really blessed to be so successful. I think that's a key. I love that when people do that. I I believe it as well. And, you know, with everything that you've accomplished, you are now even creating an environment for other women to collaborate in in, in the form of that Facebook group. Environment is so important because it creates that expectation. If, for example, a woman owns a business and she's making $10,000, $20,000 per month, She's like, oh, this is cool. I'm happy with this. If she then gets in a group where other women are making $100,000 per month, it creates not a negative gap, but a believability and a little bit more of a stretch of imagination. And I'm pretty sure the quote goes, a mind once expanded cannot contract. So creating that environment where they're not just these solopreneurs out there all alone, kind of on an island working hard, but maybe, you know, not putting in their energy in the right position, the right spots or not having the strategy to reflect and like level up, uh, you know, having that environment is such an asset to them. So I highly encourage everyone to look up Galit. How can listeners contact you? Uh, I'm on all social media, except for Twitter under Galit Ventura Rosen. They can also find me at salessuccessmethod.com. Excellent. Galit Ventura Rosen, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Such an accomplished woman and really appreciate you having you on the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.